Okay, hello. And with me today is Mary Ellen Beliveau. Uh, Mary Ellen is the founder and CEO of Knowledge to Practice. The people at K2P are passionate advocates for healthcare providers. They're committed to delivering online personalized learning tools and analytics that enable them to practice at the top of their license together as an integrated care team. Their mission is to revolutionize how personalized education is experienced across healthcare systems to address skill inequity, enable value-based care, drive continuous use of care, and bridge the gap between quality and competency with transformational SaaS solutions. Mary Ellen, thanks so much for joining me today on Remote Possibilities. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm excited to be here. Let me ask you, where are you, where are you clicking in from? Uh, Bethesda, actually. Okay. Bethesda, All right. Maryland. All right, very good. Uh, there are many reasons why I was uh, excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, but first and foremost is the type of work and who your learners are. Uh, we, we look at a lot of different levels of education <clears throat> and remote technology solutions here. Uh, we haven't done doctors before. Uh, and I can assume that that's a, a pretty uh, specific niche uh, group of folks um, who uh, you're working with, right? Exactly. I think, um, you know, as your listeners may or may not know, physicians, part of their Hippocratic Oath is to sign on to being lifelong learners. So sort of the postgraduate medical education is how they maintain their licensure and credentials, but more importantly, really how they keep their skills up with the rate of development, which has gotten faster and faster through the decades. So the rate in which new compounds, new disease states are, are identified and new devices are developed is exceptionally, exceptionally fast these days. And it's almost impossible for a physician to keep up. So the postgraduate space is a whole different, whole different approach than, um, than the graduate space or undergraduate space for sure. Yeah. And just as a, my, uh the way I think about those groups of professionals, being learners is not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind for me. It's that they're actually the knowledgeable people. But in reality, that, as you said, they, they have the Hippocratic Oath that they have to continuously learn, right? Well, at the crux of the problem is exactly what you just articulated is even, even though on some level there's awareness that the postgraduate medical education space and the approach to it is antiquated. The keen awareness or, or sense that they have accountability for it at the executive level is not really there. So they do exactly like you do. Our physicians are all experts. They've all passed their boards. They continue to maintain their credentials. And you know, there's, there's flaws within that and the skill inequity in healthcare where our physicians have lives in their hands is actually one of the worst verticals in the marketplace. Wow. And it's not their fault. They, they care and want to do the very best for their patients. And they're very smart people. It's that with this shift to accountable care, their administrative duties has, has, have become a huge part of their day job. Also a, a source of job dissatisfaction. Um, and in, in addition to that, think about the rate of technology development in general. So the rate of, of, pipeline development from pharmaceutical companies and device companies and better, deeper research on various disease states and getting smarter on those is exponentially farther, faster. So they're saying the rate of medical knowledge these days doubles every 73 days. 
I mean, there's not another vertical that has that amount of right. change. And that's why education is so critical in the postgraduate space. At this point, someone's got to be able to distill down the literature, identify what's real, what needs to be impacting care, and delivering it in a meaningful way to those practicing physicians so they can access it on the go. This concept of oh, that course interests me and it happens to be in Hawaii and I'm going to go to a one-size-fits-all course just does not deliver value back into the healthcare system. Well, especially now, right? And unfortunately, uh, we have to talk about it even if we don't want to talk about it. But, you know, the work that you were doing uh, before the pandemic um, was something that was already in place and this was a phenomenon that was going on. I'll assume that since March, it's uh, only accelerated, uh, especially probably even more to a, a real-time situation uh, with a brand new virus, right? That nobody knew about. Talk a little bit about how um, your company has pivoted to provide those sort of vital services. Yeah, it's interesting. We were um, in the early stages of design and development of our complex disease curriculum, really designed for the providers across the spectrum of care that are really dealing with those complex disease states that CMS spends 90% of their money on and, and healthcare systems are getting the biggest um, um, penalties uh, from CMS on. So we're in the midst of doing that. And once COVID hit, we said, there's no way hospital executives or medical executives are either going to have the time to talk about this right now. So we really had to pull up and said, you know, there's no better way to prove out our value proposition than to jump in and develop COVID curriculum and show them that what we do really well is understand what the practice gaps are, what the issues are, and really provide this consistent surveillance across the marketplace and then feed it up to our thought leader, our panel of thought leaders that lead the various curricula. And have the have them aware and be able to sort through the data, identify the data that is um, most well grounded, um, and identify what needs to be distilled down in a really meaningful way and delivered to the practitioners as quickly as possible, and constantly having a living, breathing curriculum so that as something new and important comes in, we're either updating equipment, uh, updating old content, or adding new content, and it's this constant letting the marketplace and the struggles in the healthcare system be able to guide us in terms of what's most important to put out there and, and getting it out in the hand. So the rate of COVID was moving so fast and there was so much information coming out. It really was a great point for us to get a product out there really quickly um, and doing it in our K to P way and, um, and, and really delivering high value. We're about halfway through the development of the COVID product when suddenly there was a large spread awareness across hospitals and healthcare systems that, you know, 60 to 80% of their revenue was down because electives just came to a screeching halt. So again, we got faced with, oh gosh, hospital execs and medical execs aren't gonna be ready to buy this product even. So now what do we do? So then we had to pivot and look at payers, right? The insurers who 
actually were on the opposite side of this, right? There, the electives weren't happening, so they actually were faring very well financially. Right. And so how could we maybe get them to roll up their sleeves and be partners and help deliver this much needed education to the front lines, knowing that the people on the front lines were overwhelmed and they need access to exactly what they need, when they need it, how they need it. And that's what we do well, is that micro learning experience, access on the go, um, and really putting it through our K2P process that creates um, sort of meaningful, practical learning that is really changing the way people face the marketplace and provide care. Yeah, well, if you can go a little deeper into that uh, and talk about those aspects, um, I'm assuming that even though the platforms might be similar, the way in which doctors are using or are learning is different than if you were in higher ed or if you were, you were a graduate student, especially now, it sounds like that immediacy that they're looking for specific pieces of information that they need to use that day, that moment. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, physicians are generally perfectionists. They want to do the best that they can. And, and the challenge in this marketplace is not lack of information. It's a deluge of information. It's too much. I can't possibly consume it all and who do I trust to keep on top of it and distill it down but no one in the marketplace is really thinking about that because when you when you look at the competitive marketplace out there you know you have medical specialty societies that are specifically looking to service their service line so cardiologist or neurologist or oncologist which is not helping the hospital deliver team-based care across the spectrum of care, which is what they need, yeah. right? Um, cardiology for the non-cardiologists when it comes to heart failure, right? And, and how do we make sure they keep pace, but not at the level that a heart failure specialist might have to keep pace, right? Yep. And, and so there's not enough providers in the marketplace, whether it's an academic medical system, you know, they don't have the ed tech chops and they don't have the adult learning chops. So there's a combination of creation of content, which in this marketplace, you know, our academicians, the thought leaders that sort of um, lead the research and the development of new solutions in healthcare have really been taught how to be presenters, not educators. They've been taught how to build PowerPoint presentations and present from the podium. And for decades, this one size fits all learning has been what has served this marketplace. And, and, and as technology has progressed, we've sort of stayed in this old school world, academicians aren't necessarily known to be innovators, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're driven by research and they tend to not be willing to change behaviors until it's well proven that that's a case. Well, the interesting thing is millennials are 50% of the workforce now. And guess what? They, ha they have this in their hands and they know, you know, Krebs cycle, some, some of those um, antiquated concepts that you had to learn in medical school, they know that no one has a big a brain big enough to memorize everything in healthcare the way they did sort of 20, 30 years ago. Nobody does. No matter how small you make the subspecialty areas, 
there's just too much to consume. So it's, again, it's not about getting the information out there. It's about making it accessible. It's about leveraging adult learning theory to be able to create small experiences that can be traversed uniquely. So that as a whole series, it's a real comprehensive series, but little mini sections can get accessed on the go to fill answers that you need right after you leave a patient or right before you go into a patient or while you're watching your son's soccer game right. when they happen again. Right, right. In person versus exactly. virtual. Yeah. Talk a little bit about one, one thing that I've been learning is the distinction between remote learning platforms and online learning. Uh, and the differences between synchronous communications and asynchronous information. Um, in this specific niche, is there a, a preponderance of, I would guess, asynchronous versus synchronous? Yeah, it's interesting. So for, for those in the marketplace, when you say asynchronous and synchronous, they think about can I access the content both synchronous and asynchronous with care, which our product you can because it's short enough. But in your terms, you're talking about live learning experiences versus um, non-live learning experiences. We, we have a couple, um, we have a very strong partnership with Mayo Clinic that was one of the first folks that we partnered with out of the gates. And, um, you know, we actually did a live blended course this summer where they had very high registration but the number of people that actually attended even any day of the course online was actually very, very significantly smaller than it had ever been. So I, I, I do think that physicians are starting to appreciate there's value for sure in those live learning experiences because you, you can during a break rub elbows with the experts, maybe bring one of your one of your case studies to bear or or even peers in the room. So the, the live piece becomes a networking, building referral networks. It's 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 not really about the learning. Oftentimes they from a learning perspective, they might leave more overwhelmed than they came in, depending on how well the course is designed. Right. But that networking is important. No one's really pulling off that networking component um, in, 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 in a real-time perspective. Um, so it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how we improve in that. There, there's lots of people trying to um, figure out the cost of weeding and feeding a community and, and how to keep that going in a, in a viable way and how to make sure you manage any risk of somebody posting something that could create um, suboptimal treatment. So there's lots of devil in the details in this space about that sort of real-time access, not, not to mention how fractured physicians' lives are and how crazy they are, right? Like having a significant segment of time without actually shutting down their practice and leaving to go somewhere is, is very hard for them to do. Yeah. So the concept of them being able to have control, dip in in small doses, get exactly what I need when I need it and with a format that I need it or want it, um, giving the control back to them is what's needed. And that's how you know, we develop very broad and deep curriculum knowing that we have a broad set of unique needs. What one person has mastered and where they lack competencies are different. Our job is to help them in a safe way, be able to self-assess where they are and focus on the things that they're 
maybe haven't kept up with the latest um, guideline or they haven't seen some of the newest emerging medicine coming, coming to bear. Right. Is there um, an assessment piece to this? Uh, and talk a little bit about that. I know in other, in other fields, everyone's talking about micro-credentialing and, and, and badging and certifications. Is, is there something that's already been established there or is there something that's, that's emerging that kind yeah, of... There there's a couple things. I mean, all physicians always care about the CME and MOC. They, they need to receive CME and MOC either 25 or 50 hours a year um, in order to maintain their licensure. So that's kind of a check the box thing that everyone's mm -hmm. aware of. Um, and their healthcare system will want to make sure that they've maintained their credentials. But that really has nothing to do with competency, right? That has to do with a I've spent the time. Right. So all of our content does that. That's sort of a sidebar. That's, we are not producing content to help people check that box. We are producing content to help them practice better medicine. So I think, um, you know, when, when, when we think about this, we think about um, the different people enabling them to have perspective on what they need. If you think about adult learning for a second, there's, there's two components that are critical to understanding. One is, Physicians are required to have a very high level of decision-making capability at the bedside. What does that require? Confidence. So adults in general are pretty poor self-assessors. Add to the fact that I need to be confident in, need, in order to be decisive at the bedside, that makes me even less good at being um, great at self-assessing. And then look at the second component of adult learning. You and I are choosing something to do because our hospital has given us money on an annual basis to check that hourly box. Right. What are we gonna do? We're gonna go to things that we love. So we end up going really deep and oftentimes even esoteric on, on the areas that we really love and stimulates us because we're good at it. Yeah. So then guess what happens? The, the gap and the lag in the areas that you're not strong at get exponentially weaker over time. And so those are two, you always have to keep those in mind. So back to your assessment question, we really, that, that's, you know, you know, with your background, creating intrinsic desires is it critical to driving engagement? So for us, physicians are competitive and they wanna give their patients the very best care they can. So oftentimes it's a matter of giving them perspective. And so the question is, how can you give them that perspective? So we have a couple different tools. We use formative and summative assessments, as you would assume, and we also um, do a lot of applied learning. For I, I always ask myself, why is it in this postgraduate space, if apprenticeship models, right, were so strong in fellowships and residencies, why does it suddenly end? The rate of development doesn't end. There's still new things for someone that's 30 years into their practice. Why, why would that concept end? And, and for whatever reason, the postgraduate space really wasn't good at thinking about how do we deliver applied learning to those folks that um, you know, have already passed the boards. And so we, we rely heavily on that applied learning and the ability to reflect on what we did, perform in a, an evaluation or a differential diagnosis on maybe 10 different patients submit that, and then watch an expert in the field 
do a differential diagnosis on those 10. We don't ever tell you if you're right or wrong. They don't need us to tell them that. They need to reflect and say, what was the expert thinking? What was I thinking? That's where the real work and the self-awareness comes to bear. And they can decide, what am I going to adopt from the thought leader? Or how am I going to adopt what that thought leader does to my patient profile or to my culture that exists in my hospital or my processes, right? They're smart enough to put those pieces together. You just got to give them the perspective in a safe zone for them. Um, And that's, so we really, assessments are key. You know, actually it's interesting. A lot of providers in the marketplace purely provide question banks as a way for physicians to learn. They, they, you know, a lot of people consider, you know, sort of formative assessments and summative assessments as being learning in themselves. Um, Mm. And so, you know, um, we, we do a bit of it all. And, um, and, and um, you know, in that way, you'll see in the, in our sort of, um, in our pre-test, the physician is able to go into specific areas and they're quickly able to see how am I performing relative to what my medical specialty board considers competent in this specific topic area? Okay. And how am I comparing longitudinally? to the other physicians in my healthcare system or across the nation. Those two perspectives really helps them say, oh my God, I had no idea. As soon as there's, oh my God, and, and we have studies within, within our work to show, the rate of engagement and improvement from pretest to post-test is remarkable for those people that take the time to go through the pretest and then um, take the post-test. And then this is a, a, a dashboard that they can check exactly. as they follow along in their path and that they see the red lights on something that they didn't really find interest in, but know that they need to be uh, competent in. Exactly. And so, you know, another thing you would assume would be a baseline um, in education and healthcare, things like the design and weighting of the curriculum go back to the academicians that they've never gone across the hallway to the school of education and had a con- conversation about how do you design, what is curriculum? How do you yeah. design curriculum? What's important yeah. about it? Instead, they say, I've got this great faculty member that just did this study, was asked to go over to Europe. He just did a lecture. Let's invite him and this guy over here. Let's fly over to Hawaii and have a course they call the topic areas whatever they want. They're not relative to the medical specialty board. There's gaps and overlap, redundancies, and it's a one size fits all for an audience. And and then the online version of that is taking those lectures and when there's a breath, I've chunked it into a space because there was a breath. There's no right. logical, that's one learning objective. This piece should stand alone. Right, right. It's really fascinating that uh, all these it's, various aspects can, you know, can and should be applied into other other aspects of that. Let me ask you this: during this acceleration of the use of remote learning uh, with doctors during the pandemic, have you seen any innovations um, with your products that maybe you hadn't realized were there before? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. Actually. Um, 
You know, we, we saw in the beginning of the year, a lot of um, the academics really fearful that the rate of development was even getting out of reach to the, to the academicians that are so specialized, right? And, yeah. and how do we think about it? And what's our job? And how do we make sure everyone's keeping up with everything that they need to keep up with? So that was an interesting start point for us. But once COVID hit and all the live courses shut down and they became these painful you know, 60 minute online lectures that you could tolerate when they're in Hawaii and your wife's on the beach, <laughs> right? right? right. <laughs> um, and of course the networking component, but all of a sudden it's online and half the value prop is, is gone now. Um, it, it became scary. So it was interesting. Um, we actually had two clients that were clients of ours for our training program product that came to us and said, this product is fantastic. We actually we want it for our practicing physicians because we think if we have one common learning platform that is so accessible on the go, so everyone can sort of dip into what they need when they need it, we'll probably rise all boats. We, we hadn't thought of that, like how can we service the whole service line with our product suites? So we sort of took what we did for training programs and then we married it with our emerging medicine product, which is keeping up with the literature and every two weeks we're producing new pieces of content that they need to keep up with. And we, we were, were, were was able to sort of give both to them and, and to help them understand how and when to engage each product. And that was eye-opening for us. Um, the second piece was um, our work with Intermountain and so many healthcare systems really looking to um, you know, sort of shift the ratio of their APPs, specifically their NPs to their MDs, and the fact that APPs don't have training programs, that they haven't generally really subspecialized, like there's no certification in cardiology, there is in oncology, but it's, it's really still early on. And um, really thinking, if I'm going to grow this fast, one, how can I get better at hiring? How can I get better at, at um, at onboarding people, especially if I'm hiring someone right out of school, right? That yeah. practice when they're an RM, but not an NP. And, um, and also, how do I enable people from a mid-surge floor, for example, be able to be considered for a cardiovascular floor? And how do, how do I use this as a, once you get an 86, you can submit, you know, you can submit your resume for a step up from mid-surge to CV to the we've had NPs in this group for 50 years and we know they're not keeping up. And so we want to set a standard and we want all boats to rise. And so we, we really found some interesting, you know, while APPs are generally not diagnosing, being able to understand how and why the MD did diagnose really starts to bring them more aligned with their MDs and also more facile at being able to deliver the care that the MD will be satisfied with. So it, it starts to build confidence with the MD and, and their ability to collaborate and trust more deeply in their APPs. Well, I know um, I've had a really great episode when the toughest thing to do is to end the conversation. <laughs> we, could, <laughs> we, could, we, we could keep going, but I, I want to sneak in one last question as I do in most of my episodes where I'm you know, desperately looking for these uh, half glass full <laughs> answers. Um, what do you see after the pandemic sticking in your particular field when it comes to the use of these technologies? Will they all stick or um, 
you know, what are the pieces that you think should stick? Let's, let's, let's put it that way. And which ones do we need to go back and just go to Hawaii and be on the beach and then be in person? <laughs> <laughs> like I said, there, there's, there's, there's purpose. There's a, there's a purpose and a place for that. But I, but I do think that needs to be innovated. It needs to be identified what that is and what it isn't. And it needs to be innovated to commit to that and doing it maybe more comprehensively than it does, right? Yep. Um, on the flip side, making content accessible, um, I just think, like I said, there's so many providers that just aren't structured. The vision and mission of the larger organization is not really structured to think about the whole healthcare institution. They're just not, right? Um, so I, 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 I think, I hope that more people start to think like we think, which is, it's not about more, it's about better, mm. you know? And I, you know, I think when, when um, I think it's recognizing, we've had a lot of lessons learned over the fast, past five years about how to do it more efficiently, more effectively than we did in year one. And I'm hoping more people doing that is going to deliver a higher bar to the marketplace, a higher set of expectations. So the other products start to fall away and it becomes more qualified products, educating more people more consistently, more effectively, so that finally our healthcare institutions, instead of giving stipends to check that CME MOC box, they're actually taking responsibility for the setting the local clinical care standards and then delivering the education that will support their care team and being able to deliver care at that level and recognize that one learning platform is gonna enable us to deliver value-based care. Quality improvement is not just about process. If they have gaps in knowledge and skill, it doesn't matter how many times they wash their hands, the differential diagnosis will be wrong. Yeah. Right. Well, once again, thank you so much for your time. I think this has been a, a great uh, conversation with lots of insights. Thank you. Thanks. It was great to meet you. And um, thanks for having me on. And thanks to everyone who is uh, tuning in to Remote Possibilities. I hope you find and click around to another one soon. Mm -hmm.